Good morning. Third day for some, fourth or fifth day for others. You know, I didn't say this on the first day, but thank you all who were here the two pre-Rohatsu days. The first day felt very, very settled for a first day, and I feel it had everything to do with the people who held the space for the two days prior to that. And all you did to prepare for our food and for our coming together in this way. So thank you. Sometimes on the third day, sometimes, there is, um, there can be some frustration. Um, there can be some feelings that maybe we're not having the experience we would like to have, or we're not the person we would like to be, or we should have gotten over this by now. The mind is restless, and why isn't it settled? I'm doubting all of this. Why am I even here? None of these people are reliable. This practice is unreliable. I'm falling asleep all the time. Mind is hazy. I can't stop fantasies, etc., etc. It should be another way. That's fine. But this, um, it should be another way. The Shin Shin Ming came up, is the primal disease of the mind. This, it should be another way, is the primal disease of the mind. Very different from simply stepping back and letting be what is. We have, we may have this, if your mind does anything similar to what my mind can do, you can set up ideals against what is lacking. There is an ideal of the way things should be, and there is what is lacking from that ideal. And sometimes the lack is so we're not even sure what we're lacking at the deepest level. There's just not something there that we feel should be there. And so we don't 
trust. We are concerned about love, how safe it is. We are concerned about joy, how safe it is. There are many concerns, and we have good reasons for many of them. And so then there is something that happens in the mind. If I am this way, everything will be right. Everything can be trusted. Everything will be joyful. Love will no longer be a risk. Faith will be reasonable in that place. And we chase after it. And we stand by it. And we become righteous about it. And we make ourselves miserable. Because it's just not showing up. But the most in a way, tragic thing that we do when we're in that way of being is that we can't see, we can't experience, we can't witness the love and the connection and the joy and the faith that is already arising in everything that we're doing with each other. Because all of that will be compared against what should be. And my, my ideals are pretty mighty. They, they, I will always lose. The, the actual person in the world will always lose. And if I meet any of those ideals, I'll just make another one. to lack, to not be good enough. I think we think that the creation of the ideal is what gives rise to the not good enough or to the separation. I think it might be flipped. I think it might be that the deep belief in the lack and the not good enough and the separation is what brings forth these ideals. There will be some future place where I will be whole. You all know this, but it should be said, there is no future place where you will be whole. We are whole. We have been convinced otherwise. And according to the Buddha, there seems to be a root operation of the mind 
that likes to grasp itself in ways that leads us down this path. But it is confusion. So we are resting in the body and letting the comparative mind, comparative mind will do its thing, although we encourage it to rest. Because the body knows its completeness. the body were confused, we would die. The body's deep, full, utter interrelationality is a simple fact. And so the wisdom that goes along with that is already present. It's already completely thorough. It's already realized. We're realizing it all the time. But there's a better way that it could be. And boom, we're gone. No connection then. And so as the mind is settling into the body's wisdom, and the body's wisdom, what is arising are all of the little things that are housed in the body that's, that are um, lesions in a way. brought about by separation, wounds brought about by separation, left there. And we feel them. But they are not evidence of a problem. They are evidence of connection. They're painful, but painful is not a problem. Painful is painful. And we know these things as they arise. And right away, the mind goes, there must be a better thing than this, than feeling this. But as we all know, when we start feeling that, we also, there's the opportunity, there's also joy housed in the body. There's also connection housed in the body. There's also the experience of love. That is the nature of the body. Because the way it seems that we experience deep connection is this thing we call love. And one way we experience deep connection is we don't want other people to be wounded by separation. And another way we experience connection in a deep way is that we want to be in just relationship with each other. We don't, to want 
just relationship as an abstraction, or love as an abstraction, as an ideal, usually keeps us, often keeps us. from being the interconnectedness that is the foundation of just relationship and love and compassion. Keeps us from being in the mud of the experience that allows for that to manifest in this life. Because that is difficult, that is complex, that's a schlog. We have to schlog through that. It is not crisp, it is not clean, it is not a shining city upon a hill. It is, as we always say, lotus in the mud, and that's where we live. And that's where we live with ourselves. That's where we live in Zazen. We are grounding ourselves fully in the mud. We're not trying to clean it up. If we try to clean it up, we will kill life. We will kill the possibility of meeting ourselves and each other in ways that clarify our karma. And clarify our conditioning. And we don't step back and looking, look at our conditioning. And some of you may have realized this, especially if you've been alive a while, that our conditioning doesn't really change. We come in so hoping that's true. And if I look at it long enough, it will be a different conditioning at some point. But it has already happened. And so we don't, we don't look at our conditioning in order to change our conditioning, in order to understand it, in order to change it. We look at our conditioning and understand our conditioning, I believe, for two reasons. One is so that we know how things happen. And so we understand how karma comes about. So we understand more clearly how causes and effects bring about certain things. But we only have a very, we only have a very limited window onto that. The causes and conditions that brought about who we are are infinite. And so even the stories we have about the causes and conditions are very weak. They're very limited. They're the best we can do. And they're helpful, but they're, we should always understand that they're in dramatically, powerfully, vastly incomplete. But it does something else that is um, really important. It lets us know where we need to orient compassion. If we understand the little bit about what brought us here, we can understand what in us needs compassion. 
what in us needs love, what in us needs to cultivate joy. And this is pretty important. We don't need to know the whole of the mystery to know that. Because that's apparent in us. That's in the body, and when we're with it, we see it and we're clear, and we become clear. And it gives us an opportunity to meet all of those beings with joy, with a desire to end the suffering of that being that comes up in us, with loving kindness, with equanimity. So getting a sense of who those beings are which simply just happens when you sit still. Give it some time, and the beings will come. But it's not to make a better being. It's not to create a better being. It's not, I'm not where I need to be yet. How do we know where we need to be yet? Where is the well-researched document that clues us in on this? I've assessed infinite causes and conditions, and by 47, I should be X in my practice. It's just funny. I don't even know what that means. If we look at the thing that comes up in the mind and we really try to discern, when, when we say the question, well, I should be this by now, it's really instructive to look at what is that this that we think we should be? Do we even have a clear idea of what it is? Or is it just a kind of assertion of lack that has no clarity at all? That we don't even know what we're talking about when we say that. And so when, we're, when this is happening for us, and sometimes we're in the mire of it, and we're, um, we are doubting, and the faith and trust we've been talking about is not so available. And then what we do in Zen is just very simple. This is where the devotion piece come, comes in. There's just constancy. It's just a devotion to repetition of wholesome activity. We are going to do these things during the day. You feel terrible, you're going to bow. You're not good enough, you're going to sit zazen, you're going to light candles, you're going to ring bells. You're going to do it at the same time every day. <laughs> you're the worst person in the world, the person next to you is the worst person in the world. Same thing. Food's going to come out. Knees are going to hurt. This is all really stupid. This is all really great. And we're going to eat rice all by itself. <laughs> and if you're a priest, you can't even put Camasio on it. It's just rice. Uh, 
and the repetition is, is everything. Repetition is the wholesome backbone that our internal karma may not have sometimes. It's that which holds the steering wheel when we cannot. And we do that for each other. And so the transformation that is happening is nothing we can fully see. In fact, <laughs> most of the time you have no idea what happens in a, in a session. You're sitting there and you're doing stuff and you have some ideas, but there's this giant transformational current that's happening that you don't know. I don't know. And then 10 years later, you're acting different. Suffering less. Suzuki Roshi talks about repetition. Since our way is like cooking or making bread. We may not find it so interesting to cook the same thing over and over and over and over again every day. <laughs> it's rather tedious, you might say. If you lose the spirit of repetition, it will become quite difficult, but it will not be difficult if you are full of strength and vitality. Anyway, you cannot keep still. We have to do something. So if you do something, you should be very observant and careful and alert. Our way is to put the dough in the oven and to watch it carefully. Once you know how the dough becomes bread, you will understand enlightenment. So how this physical body becomes a sage is our main interest. We're not so concerned about what flour is or what dough is or what a sage is. A sage is a sage. Metaphysical explanations of human nature are not the point. So the kind of practice we stress thus cannot become too idealistic. If an artist becomes too idealistic, he will commit suicide because between his ideal and his actual ability, there is a great gap because there is no bridge long enough to go across this gap. He will begin to despair. That is the usual spiritual way. But our spiritual way is not so idealistic. In some sense, there has to be a little bit of idealism. At least we should be interested in making bread which tastes and looks good. <laughs> Actual practice is repeating over and over again until you find out how to become bread. There is no secret in our way. Just to practice zazen and put ourselves into the oven. This is our way. And the importance of what is happening. We don't know that either. We talk about sitting for all beings. We come in wanting to sit for ourselves. And then at some point, usually, 
some version. Ourselves, maybe we want to sit for our communities. Maybe probably not thinking about sitting for all beings. Maybe not even knowing what that means to sit for all beings. Maybe not knowing what it is to practice for all beings. But the mystery of what we are doing, the support that is happening both for us, which is coming from all beings, and through us, which is going to all beings. There's nothing special in this, in this conduit of affairs. We are just f making ourselves available to it. We are not special as a part of the process of life because we're sitting zazen and clarifying. We are just doing the work of actually becoming available to that process without causing trouble. We're not becoming special, we're becoming less of a hindrance. And because anything that is special about us is already true. It doesn't get, we don't get more special. However we are special, we are always that special. Nothing you do changes that. But I want to talk, I want to, um, we're going to do a, um, I want to talk about the way, one way, in which what we are doing, because I think it's important to understand that our, um, that our zazen interpenetrates one another in ways that we do not even know. So I want to read something. A sangha member, we're a relatively young sangha. And so we have not started experiencing one another's deaths yet. Not too much. But that has happened. And, um, and I want to say that because we are going to do, um, I don't know how many of you know Carla. Carla Herrera Prats, who comes, used to come on in the mornings and has come to Half Day Sits, who has had, been with us and had cancer for the last year. She used to lie down in the Zendo, if you remember her. She, on Monday, she went back to Mexico, back home to Mexico, and she died on Monday. She was an incredibly bright, sharp, joyful, funny person. And her lying down was incredibly upright. But I just want to read something that came to Ian, because we should understand this when we are doubting when we are unsure, when there is um, not trust, when there are things that are better. We also should know this. This came from Alexa Danner, a friend of Carla's, uh, who sent a donation posthumously from Carla. 
This donation is in memory of Carla. In the last year of her life, the Brooklyn Zen Center brought her incredible peace and eased her suffering. We saw this firsthand, how it helped her through an unbelievably difficult, sad, and, peaceful, and painful time. I want to say that just in memory of her, and I want to say that as um, as an encouragement that we are not wasting our time. Going through this human life is difficult. And we don't know the small ways we are bringing peace to each other. We're also bringing some difficulty to each other. But hopefully through that difficulty, <laughs> we have some training. that increases our capacity for love. Some of us knew her, so I am... Um, we often say that we don't want to bring things from the outside into Sashin because it... Um, because people are in their process, but... I had to evaluate, and I do believe that this brings truth and intimacy to our process. We are here for each other. And the person sitting next to you, and on the other side of you, and in front of you, and behind you, is profoundly precious. Even in the moments we do not have the ability to realize it. And the one sitting as you is profoundly precious. Even when you don't have the ability to realize it. There is nobody better. There is only clarifying the Buddha that already is. So that we can fully turn toward all beings without hesitation, without doubt. I think we can just stop. It's okay to be early. May our intention. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. 
Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.